Esther chapter 9, verse 1, and if you find it, say amen. And it says, now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adair, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put into execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. Again, it says, in the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to have power over them, it was turned to the contrary. That the Jews had rule, or that is, they overpowered them that hated them. And tonight I want to use the title for this message, it was turned to the contrary. Hallelujah. It was turned to the contrary. And what that simply means is that God turned things around for his people. Hallelujah. Oh, thank the Lord. God turned things around. God gave a divine reversal for his people. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you tonight in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that, God, you are such a faithful God to us. Lord, we thank you, the Lord. You are awesome, Lord. You are with us at all times. Lord, just like you were with your people in the book of Esther, just like you were with Esther, Lord, and Mordecai, Father, you're with us today. And Lord, today I pray that you would just feed your people. Feed us tonight, Jesus. You're the great shepherd. Feed us tonight with your word. And Lord, we just give you all the praise and glory, and we pray that, God, you would turn things around tonight for your people. We just give you the praise and glory, and everyone said amen and amen. From a Jewish perspective, the book of Esther is a book that gives a historical account of the Feast of Purim. The Feast of Purim is a feast the Jews celebrate every year about uh, the 14th and 15th of their month, Adair, which is equivalent to about our, our late March. And the book of Esther, again, gives the, from their perspective, gives the historical account of what happened way back in the year 473 B.C. And on that, uh, during that feast, they celebrate and, and remember what took place in that year. And, and the whole Feast of Purim, for again, from their perspective, is about how things changed for the Jews. They get the, their, the, whole, the whole focus of the Feast of Purim, again, from a Jewish perspective, comes from this verse in, in verse uh, 1 here of chapter 9, where it says, it was turned to the contrary. In other words, things change. God, Jehovah God, turned things around for his people. The enemy thought that, the, that he had God's people just where he wanted them, but then Jehovah God stepped in. Oh, thank you, Lord. And turned things around. Wow. Hallelujah. He turned things around. And the Jews every year, going all the way back to 473, even up to the present, they celebrate this Feast of Purim, again, to celebrate how God turned things around. The Orthodox Jews in particular celebrate how God turned things around. Those non-religious Jews that celebrate the Feast of Purim even today, 
They use it just as a means of celebration. And, but, from a, but from a Christian perspective, from a believer in Christ perspective, the book of Esther is a book also that shows how God turned things around. And if God did it for the Jews of old, he'll do it for us today. Hallelujah. Because you and I, we don't celebrate the, free, the, uh, the Feast of Purim, the Feast of Purim. We celebrate Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the one that changed things for you and I. Hallelujah. He turned things around for you and I. We were on our way to hell, but then God gave us a divine reversal. Hallelujah. On our way to hell, but yet by the Holy Spirit, we said yes to Jesus. Jesus, the King of glory, stepped right into our life and said, whoop turned things around for us, and we were on our way to heaven. Hallelujah. Tonight, you and I are on our way to heaven. Hallelujah. We are on our way to glory. We have no fear of death. Why? It's because we've experienced a divine reversal all because of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord. And so we celebrate. We, we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that feast so we don't celebrate it in that sense the book of esther is also a book from a if you read most commentaries the things that commentators will say is that the book of esther reveals the providence of god the providence of god that terminology is a non-biblical term very much like the word trinity but it explains and reveals a biblical truth The providence of God just simply means that God has a plan for his people. And it doesn't matter what the enemy does, God is going to bring that plan to pass. God has a plan for his people. God has a plan for you and I. The providence of God is just simply, again, that God has a plan, and that plan is a Christ-centered plan. God has a plan for mankind, a Christ-centered plan. And that plan is to ultimately bring restoration back to everything that God created. Man lost it in the garden, but God's plan is to bring it back through Jesus Christ. You and I, we lost it in the garden, but God's plan is to bring us back through Jesus Christ. Now, you know that's God's plan. God never violates the free will of man. And man can reject God's plan. And if you reject God's plan, you receive judgment. But if, you, if we accept God's plan, watch out. Because again, like I've said, you'll experience a divine reversal. You'll experience a change, hallelujah. You'll experience that turnaround that only Jesus Christ can bring. I'm thankful tonight that God has a plan for us. God does have a plan. You know, know, we've been talking about so much recently, especially on Sister Swigert's program, The Purpose Driven Life. But I understand this. Even though they use the word purpose there, and and, and they distort the true meaning of God's purpose, 
There truly is a purpose for you and I. There truly is an intended goal that God has for you and I. God has a plan. And again, God's plan for you and I is a Christ-centered plan to live for Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to live, move, and have our being in Jesus Christ. That's the plan of God. Hallelujah. That's how men and women can be restored back to God through Jesus Christ accepting God's plan. God had a plan for Israel. We see this in the book of Esther. The book of Esther in chapter 1, we see that the book of Esther starts out with uh, dealing with King Ahasuerus, who was the king of Persia. Uh, during that time, the Persia was the greatest nation on the face of the earth. King Ahasuerus calls a feast, and you know the story. He has a feast lasting for about 180 days, celebrating how wonderful he is. At the end of that 180-day uh, uh, feast, he has another seven-day feast. And during that seven-day feast, he's, he opens up all the wine cellars and says, Oh, you officials, go ahead and drink it up. All his officials himself, they get drunk, they get smashed, and at the end of the seven days, he said, you know what, I think I want to see my beautiful queen, Queen Vashti. He calls for Queen Vashti, Queen Vashti says, no, I ain't coming. And she was thinking, I th- it's just my opinion, I think Queen Vashti said, you know, I ain't going to sh- parade myself in front of a bron- bunch of drunk men. <laughs> So she refused to come, and it came about that, that the king had made a decree that Vashti could no longer be queen, and so virgins to be, to, were to be sought all over the, the Persian Empire, which at that time was all the way from India to Ethiopia. Again, the greatest empire on the face of the earth at that time. Virgins were be sought to, to, uh, for the king to, to pick a new queen. Well, it just happened that there happened to be a, a, a young Jewish girl by the name of Hadassah that was living in the capital city of Persia, Shushan. And she just happened to be one of the ladies, young ladies, that was chosen to be a prospective queen. The Bible says that Hadassah, which we know as Esther, Hadassah was a young girl whose parents had died some one time when she was young. Her cousin Mordecai, who was much older than her, raised her up as, as his daughter, loved her as his daughter. Hadassah loved Mordecai as her father. He raised her up in the ways of God. And here she is chosen to be a prospective queen. I'm sure that Mordecai, I'm sure that, that didn't make Mordecai very, uh, uh, it, didn't, it didn't just make him happy necessarily. I'm sure there was some unrest there. Mordecai told Esther, Esther, don't reveal to the king who, you are, who, who your people are and don't tell him who, who your father is. Because it could, it could uh, possibly get you off the list, possibly be killed, whatever the case don't reveal your lineage. So Esther doesn't reveal her lineage. It says in chapter 2 that a time, time came for the, the king to choose the queens. And Esther was chosen to be the queen of Persia. And think of that. A young Jewish girl chosen to be the queen of Persia. 
the queen of the most powerful woman on the face of the earth at that time, a young Jewish girl. The queen of Persia. And God had placed her there for such a time as that. And so time goes on as she is queen that that her foster father Mordecai just one day, Mordecai was a court official in the Persian government. One day he just happened to hear, overhear the, the, the talk of two eunuchs who were plotting to kill the king. Mordecai told Esther, Esther told the, the king in the name of Mordecai. Mordecai investigates, oh, I'm sorry, the king investigates the situation and it's found out that Mordecai was true, was telling the truth and those two eunuchs were hanged and the king's life was spared because Mordecai was loyal. And so time goes on in the next chapter, chapter three, it talks about how there was an evil man by the name of Haman. Haman was as the book of Esther reveals, he had Amalek blood flowing through his veins. He was a descendant of, the, of Amalek. The Amalekites were haters of God. They were haters of God. They were haters of Israel. They were a cursed people. When Israel was coming out of Israel, uh, uh, Egypt, excuse me, they were coming out of Egypt. The Bible says that Amalek ambushed Israel. And God didn't like that too much. And so the Amalekites were a cursed people again, but they hated God. They hated hated God's people. And that's that's who Haman was, a descendant of Amalek. And it says that he was lifted up to be the second in command in all of Persia. It says the king had promoted Haman so much to the point that people were to reverence and bow before Haman just like they did the king. And so here's Haman, an evil man. People are bowing before him and giving him reverence, except there's one person that won't bow, Mordecai. Esther's foster father won't bow. That made Haman, Haman so mad It made him so mad that he got the king to issue a decree or to allow Haman to issue a decree in the king's name, in the king's authority, to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. Again, Haman got the king to to allow him to write this decree and to send it all over the Persian Empire to kill the Jews, to wipe them off the face of the earth. That's how mad Haman was. But again, he was a hater of God and a hater of God's people. It's interesting that Haman had money behind him. He had the power. He had the king's favor. He had everything going for him. And God's people, the Jews, had everything going against them. And so it was planned. Every... Uh, province, got the decree, things were set in order for God's people, the Jews, to be killed on the 13th of the Jewish month, Adair, the 12th month of the Jewish year. That was the day that it would take place, that God's people would be killed. When Mordecai heard of the, of the decree and the Jews throughout Persia heard of the, heard of the decree, The Bible says that Mordecai began to weep, and he began to mourn, 
And he began to bitterly cry out loudly throughout the streets of Shushan and in the king's gate. And the Jews throughout Persia began to cry out to God and they began to weep and fast and mourn. Basically what happened in God's people, the Jews, they began to cry out to the Lord to have mercy. And God heard their prayer. It looked like an, an, an irreversible situation. Here it was Haman in the king's authority writing a decree and the king's in favor of it that the Jews ought to be killed on this one day. Haman was what we might think of as a 5th century B.C. Hitler. He had a plan. He had the money. He had the king's favor. It was all set. The Jews were done for. It was over with. It was almost as good as done. It was going to come to pass. God's people, the Jews, would be killed. And so what happened is Mordecai in chapter 4, Mordecai, he, he is able to get in contact with Esther, and he tells Esther about the whole plot that Haman has concocted, this whole, this whole plan that Haman has concocted. Uh, for some reason, Esther had not heard of it, but Esther heard about Mordecai weeping and, and mourning in the streets and wearing sackcloth and ashes, and she wonders, what's going on with my foster father Mordecai? She sends a messenger to him, and the messenger, uh, Mordecai tells the messenger, about the decree that Haman had, got, had, had issued, and the messenger goes back and tells Esther all about it. Esther responds back, and she says that, in chapter 4, she says that, if I go before the king for, at, at this time, there's only one law. For anybody that whom, in whom the king has not requested to come before him, and that law is certain death, I'll die if I go before the king. The messenger goes back and tells Mordecai, and Mordecai sends the messenger back to tell Esther, you tell Esther that if she thinks that she's going to live, if she doesn't do something, she's thinking wrong. And turn to Esther chapter 4, if you would. Esther chapter 4, and it says in verse 13, it says, Then Mordecai commanded, commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall, then there then shall there be enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows, Esther, whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Mordecai was trying to get Esther to sense the necessity for her to plead the cause of her people. Again, she told Mordecai, if I go in before the king and he, and he doesn't request me, I'll die. Again, Mordecai's response was, if you don't do something, if you don't plead the cause of your people, don't think that you're not going to die. You'll die. 
and your people will perish as well. God can arise deliverance and bring deliverance from another source if he wants to. For who knows if you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You see, Mordecai was telling, uh, telling Esther, and, and the Holy Spirit was inspiring Mordecai to say this. Esther, God's placed you here for such a time as this. God's placed you here. And it's not in the, it's not in the biblical text, but I, I just feel that Mordecai might have said to that messenger, he might have said, you Message, you, you tell that Esther, <laughs> I don't care if she is the queen, you tell her she better plead the cause of her people. Because if she doesn't, she's going to die, I'm going to die, her people are going to die. And you tell her that God's place in the kingdom for such a time as this. Such a time as this. Esther, you play, you've been placed into this kingdom for such a time as this. And understand this family worship center. God's placed you here for such a time as this. God's placed you in family worship center, a part of Jimmy Swagger Ministries, for such a time as this. Hallelujah. God's placed Sun Life Radio in this world, in this day and age, why is for such a time as this? Woe is us if we preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, you see again, Mordecai, as a father figure, was impelling, was, was trying to get Esther to feel the necessity of pleading the cause of her people. In other words, Esther, you must do this. God's placed you in the kingdom for such a time as this, and you've got to do it, Esther. You've got to do this, Esther. You know, I feel that the Father, in praying about this message and preparing for it, I felt the Lord just laying upon my heart so much that Sometimes our Father, even though our Father, our Heavenly Father, is a loving Heavenly Father, sometimes He can be stern with us. Sometimes He can be firm and stern with us. And I believe that God would tell us tonight that God has placed us here for such a time as this. We better do what God's called us to do. We better do what God's called us to do. You as an individual, you've got to stay where God's called you to be. Well, you say, well, I, I feel weary. I feel, I feel like giving up sometimes. I, I get this and I get that by going to the ministry. Don't give up. I said, don't give up. You've got to do what God's called you to do. For God's placed you here for such a time as this. God's placed this minister here to preach the cross, to preach Christ and him crucified, and woe are we if we don't do that. For God's placed us here for such a time as this. And you know what? If we don't do it, we'll die. If we don't do it, we will lose our way. Oh, yes, God can bring somebody else up to do it. 
And praise God that God is raising up others to preach Christ and am crucified. God can bring others up to do it, to have the voice that we've got, but if we don't do it, we'll die, and people will die as a result of it as well. And if you don't stay in the place where God has you, <laughs> excuse me, if you don't stay in that place, watch out, because you'll experience spiritual decay. I'm telling you tonight, I feel it in my heart that God got to eat. Yes, even though he's a loving father, sometimes he speaks firmly to us. Stay where God wants you to stay. Don't leave God's place. Don't leave it. For God's placed you here for such a time as this. Do you hear that tonight? I can't leave it. God's placed you here for such a time as this. Every person, God's placed you here for such a time as this. You are in God's place for you. You are in God's timing. You're doing what God wants you to do. Stay there. Stay there. Don't leave. Don't leave because of pressure. Don't leave because of trial. Don't leave because of adversity from others. Do what God has called you to do, and you will be blessed. Again, for God's placed you here for such a time as this. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That's what Mordecai was trying to get across to Esther. Esther, you've got to do this. You've got to do this, Esther. God's placed you here. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. God's placed you here for such a time as this. Listen to Esther's response in chapter 4. It says in verse 15, Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. And I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. She said, if I perish, I perish. Get that tonight. She basically was saying, I'm going to do this even if I die. If I perish, I perish. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Hallelujah. Is it our heart tonight? I don't care what they say about me. I don't care what they do. I don't care what happens. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And that's it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If I perish, I perish. My father has spoken, and that's it. It's done. It's settled. It's over with. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. If I perish, I perish. So the Bible says that they fasted. The Jews in Shushan and Esther and her handmaids fasted for three days. And it says in chapter 5, it reveals that it came to pass in the third day that Esther, being led by the Holy Spirit, she put on her royal apparel. She probably put on that good perfume, the best, 
put on her royal apparel, and it says she went in before the king. The king didn't request her. She, she could die as a result of this, but she went in anyway. She was being led by the Holy Spirit. She walked right into the, king, the king's court. The Bible says the king saw her and said, wow. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that, but it implies that. <laughs> Wow. Wow. That's my, that's my queen. Queen Esther, it's good to see you. In reality, Esther had, they hadn't seen each other for about 30 days. The Bible says in verge, verse, uh, chapter 3, she walks in and again, the king is blown off his feet. He sees her and says, whoa, man. I know why he said that. Uh, the reason why I said it is because the king's response to Esther was, Esther, what do you want? What's your request, Esther? I'll give it to you up to half of my kingdom. What would you like, my love? Boy, wouldn't you like your husbands to say that to you? So the king says that to Esther, and Esther's re response to, her, to him was somewhat unusual to him and somewhat unusual to us that isn't the natural thinking. She says, this is my request. Tonight I want to make for you a special banquet. And I want you and your second in command, Haman, to come, and then at the banquet I'm going to reveal what I, what I desire. How's that? The king thought, wow, that's great. Uh, eunuch, go get Haman and and this is great. So uh, Esther prepares the banquet, and they come that evening. And uh, the Bible says that the banquet of wine, which was the uh, time of drinking wine after the meal, the, the, the king said to Esther, okay, Esther, it's time. What, would you what do you desire? What would you like? Off the, hap off the hap of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. It's yours. Esther's answer again was somewhat unusual. She said, she said, King, this is what I desire. I want to make for you another banquet. I want to prolong, in a sense, in the natural, we would think, why would Esther want to prolong this? Why would Esther want to prepare another banquet? Why would she do this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Esther was being led by the Holy Spirit to do it. It may not even have made sense to Esther, but she, she, she said, King, this is what I want. I want to prepare for you another banquet tomorrow evening for you and Haman. So the king says, okay, sure, fine. And so chapter 6 reveals to us what takes place between the first banquet and the second banquet. And there's a whole lot. Because between the first banquet and the second banquet, and this, this is what happens. The king that very night, the Bible says, could not sleep. He couldn't sleep. It just, happened that, it just happened that he could not sleep that night. And it just happened when he could not sleep that he wanted them, his servants, to read to him the chronicles of his reign. Very, you know, uh, you know someone of an unusual request. And it just happened when the, the, that the section in which his servants read 
was the section where Mordecai saved his life. It just happened, some might think. But you see, it didn't just happen. You see, God was setting things up for the, for the Jews' deliverance. He was setting things up for his people's deliverance. Hallelujah. You see, God knows our beginning from our end. He knows what's going to happen to us tomorrow. For a year from now, the Lord tarries. God knows the plans that the enemy has against you. And God's already made provision for deliverance from that enemy attack. And he was setting things up in that evening. The king says, hmm, what's been done for this Mordecai? Have I rewarded him? His eunuch said, no. Just at that time, Haman just happened to walk in. And the king asks, the king says to Haman in, in, in chapter 6, Haman, what do you think I should do for the man and whom I honor. You see, Haman thought he was talking, the king was talking about him. <laughs> Haman thought he was, oh wow, I have really got it going on. The queen likes me, and the king likes me. Man, things are going great. Haman, what do you, in what way should the king uh, honor those that honor him? Haman thought, wow, this is, this is great. What would I like the king to do for me? What would I like the king to do for me? And he says in chapter 6 and verse 7, And Haman answered the king, For the man in whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head, and let, his, and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of the one, of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the men with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on the horseback to the street of the city, and proclaim before him, thus shall be done to the man in whom the king delighteth to honor. Verse 10, then the king said to Haman, make haste and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew. That sitteth at the king's gate, let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. You see, God was already beginning to turn things around for his people. Wow, I like the way God does things. <laughs> he says, Haman, go ahead and do this for Mordecai. Can you imagine what Haman must have felt at that time? Wow. Except he would have felt it in a bad way. Verse 11, then Haman took the, the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback to the street of the city and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. You, get, you see, God began to reverse the situation for his people. In chapter 7, it talks about how Haman... Or uh, the second banquet takes place. And at that second banquet, you see, God had prepared things for Esther to make, his, to make her request. The second banquet takes place, and at the banquet of wine, the king says, Okay, Esther, what would you like me to do? Up to half of my kingdom, it's all yours. 
And Esther just simply says, and I'm paraphrasing, King, if I found favor in your sight, this is what I desire. My people and I, we have been sold. We have been sold, sold to die through the scheme of a wicked man. And if we had just been sold to be slaves, that would be one thing, and I probably would not have said anything, but we've been sold to to die at the hands of a wicked person. An evil plot has been set against my people and I. And the king thought, and he said to Esther, who is this person? Who does he think he is? That he can concoct a plan against my queen and her people. And Esther said, Haman is this evil and wicked man. At that moment, the king walked out in wrath. Haman began to weep and uh, cry at the feet of Esther. Esther said, sitting in her chair, Esther, uh, Haman is so much in despair that he falls upon her lap, pleading for his life. The king walks back in and says, look at this. Not only has this man concocted a plan against her people to kill her, but here he is trying to take her right now. <laughs> the Bible says that as the king was speaking these words, they covered the head and the face of Haman. And a eunuch spoke up and said, hey, uh, king, you know what? Haman... Today, he set up a gallow, 50 cubits high, which was 75 feet high, to kill Mordecai. And the king said, go ahead and hang Haman on it. You see, God reversed things for his people. Hallelujah. God reversed it. God reversed it. Hallelujah. Go ahead, hang Haman on it. And that's what they did. And so it says in chapter 8 of Esther that Esther is glad that Haman has been killed, but you see, Haman's decree is still in effect. So Esther pleads her case again before the king and says to the king, King, can you please reverse or erase or eradicate uh, Haman's decree because it's still the fact. The king, recognizing that Haman's decree had been written uh, in, the, in the name of the king and with the king's authority, and the king recognized it could not be reversed. It could not be erased. It could not be just done away with. It was gonna happen according to the law of the Medes and Persians. Uh Uh-oh, we've got a problem. So this is what the king said. The king said to Mordecai and to Esther, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you my signet ring, and you go ahead and write a decree. And whatever you do, just do it in 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 the name of the king with the king's authority. And so Mordecai wrote a decree and had it, had it spread throughout all, all the provinces of Persia and told the Jews that on the 13th of Adair, that same day that Haman 
had designed for the Jews to be killed, you now have the right to protect yourself. You now have the right to bear arms and protect yourself. And it doesn't matter who it is that comes against you, you can take their life in return. You see, the king could not erase Haman's decree, but he could give a decree that superseded it. Hallelujah. He could give a decree that was greater and superseded it, and that's what happened. The Bible says that on that day, even, even, even the days leading up to the 13th of Adair, the month Adair, that the fear of the Jews fell upon all the people of Persia. But there were still enemies. There were still people who were dead set on killing the Jews. Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, commentators, Jewish commentaries, I should say, claim that those who had, who had set their mind to kill the Jews, no matter what the Jews did, that they were descendants of Amalek themselves. You see, Amalek was still around, in a sense, to try to kill God's people. And it says in chapter 8, that on that day, that God began to turn things around for his people. A fear of the Jews fell upon the people of Persia. And those enemies of the Jews that thought that they would kill the Jewish people to kill God's people, in return, they killed, the Jews killed their enemies. And that's what it declares in chapter 9, verse 1, that in the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower the Jews and to wipe them off the face of the earth. What happened? It was turned to the contrary. God turned it around for his people. Hallelujah. God turned everything around for his people. It was turned to the contrary. One translation says the opposite occurred. Let me tell you something, sometimes God's people can find themselves right in the midst of an attack of the enemy. In praying for this message, really all week long, I, I wrestled with getting a word from the Lord. I didn't know exactly what the Lord wanted. I had something else on my mind, but I didn't feel easy about it. Even this morning, I didn't feel easy in my heart about the message. But when Curtis began to sing, He'll give you a miracle. The Lord presented it upon my heart. This is the word I want for you to say and to speak. That God can turn things around for his people. I sensed in my heart so much that there's maybe some here tonight, some listening by Sun Life Radio, you have been severely attacked by the enemy or by sickness, or by oppression, or just, a, just a, a blanket attack by the enemy of your soul. And you felt that oppression in your spirit. You've become weary. And you feel like you want to give up. If you don't feel like you want to give up, you just feel that weariness inside. But I'm here to tell you tonight, God will turn things around for you. Hallelujah. Some of you tonight, you need God to step in and give you a divine reversal. 
in your body, in your spirit. Some of you have allowed bitterness or other things to come into your spirit, and you recognize that if something doesn't happen, I'm going to walk away. If something, if something does not happen, I'm going to end up going the wrong way. I'll leave the place where God has me. Tonight, I tell you, tonight God wants to turn things around for you. Turn it around. I ask you tonight, is there something in your life that you need God to turn around? Is there something in your life that you need God to give you a divine reversal? Tonight, God's speaking to you, I believe, through this message and saying, I want to give you a divine reversal. I want to reverse things. I want to, I want to bring about a change in this situation, just like I did it to my people of old. I can do it, and I will do it for you because you're my child. Hallelujah. You're my child. Again, people, God knows the beginning from the end. And God knows exactly what you feel in your spirit tonight. And I'm telling you, God will turn it around. You may say, well, everything's going fine in my life, but I know. And there's, I know this situation, there's a situation in my family. But I'm here to tell you tonight, believe God for a divine reversal in that situation. Believe God to perform a miracle and to turn things around. Believe the Lord to turn it around. God may have you to do the Jews of old did, and that is to fast and to weep and pray until God gives an answer. Tonight, God is the only one that can turn that thing around in your life. And again, God's plan is a Christ-centered plan. I ask you tonight, what do you need the Lord to turn around? If you, go, if you keep going in this direction, you won't be and you won't receive what God ultimately has for you. What needs to be turned around tonight? As the musicians come back, if they would, what needs to be turned around? What needs to be changed? Hallelujah. If we could stand to our feet tonight. Singers, you can just sing a song the Lord lays upon your heart. In, in preparing for this message, I understood, I just felt in my heart that maybe not everyone would respond to this word because maybe not everyone needs something to turn around. But I believe there's more than I might think tonight. Again, I ask you, What's the condition of your heart? Is there something that needs to change? I mean, turn around. It's going the wrong direction. You need God to step in and Jesus Christ to step in and just change things. What is it? Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you're experiencing an attack of the enemy. I'm here to tell you tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ will turn it around for you. And these altars are open. I want you to come down. Don't worry about what other people might think. I want you to come down. Come down tonight. Cry out to the Lord just like the Jews of old. 
Say, Lord, turn it around for me. Say, God, I can't live this way anymore. I need you to change things. Do it for me, Lord, like you did it to your people of old. Lord, turn it around. Hallelujah. And he will change it. He will turn it around in your life. Thank you, Lord.